0: about uh, getting your, your hymns that you want to sing on New Year's Day, if you can get them to Rick. And ideally, if you could get them to him today uh, so that he can put that together and uh, not be having to do that uh, last, last minute uh, between Christmas and New Year when uh, he might want to enjoy his family too. So if you can do that and get that to him early, that would be wonderful. Also, I um, wanted to read a thank you from Ben and Charlene to you Dear Cornerstone family, thank you so much for all of your prayers, love, support, and encouraging words. We have felt God's power all through this journey of Ben's surgery. He still has a long road ahead, but has done very good so far. His chest drainage tubes came out yesterday afternoon, and the doctor said if this good recovery continues, he could be discharged by by Tuesday. Uh, So hopefully he'll be home before... uh, before, between Christmas and New Year, I guess. Uh, no, I guess that would be this Tuesday. Yeah, before Christmas. Wonderful. Okay. Everything's coming together for me. Uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. Of course, this, there is still pain to pray for and no infe- that no infection sets in. But thank you again from the bottom of our hearts, still believing in complete healing, Ben and Charlene. So thank you for your continued prayers for them as they walk this journey uh, of recovery. Uh, I was saying to somebody uh, a couple Sundays ago, before he went into surgery, uh, Ben had asked for the elders to pray over him and to anoint him, which we did in my office. And uh, I said, you know, that scripture in James says that the prayer offered in faith will bring healing. And I said, isn't it just like Ben to put it on us, to have the faith to bring healing to him? Instead of him to have it. So uh, anyway, it was, uh, it's our privilege always to pray uh, for each other. And so I can ask you to continue to pray. Um, from what I understand, it's, it's a long recovery process from this surgery. So pray for Charlene as she deals with Ben uh, through this process. As well as for Ben as he's uh, walking this, this road of recovery. Well, let's pray as we uh, get into God's word. our gracious merciful God we want to thank you this day for the the privilege we have to approach the throne of grace because Jesus our Savior paved the way for us to have access to you we celebrate his coming his birth into this world and the reason for his coming today and this this time of year We ask that you by your Holy Spirit will help us understand the scriptures, help us to understand not only the part that Joseph and Mary played in this process of Christ coming to earth, but also what our part is as we consider how we are to live in light of this wonderful event and the hope that Christ brought to us, as well as how we are to live as those who are called today to bring Jesus and the hope of Christ to the world in which we live. So we thank you. We ask that your Holy Spirit will guide us into all the truth today. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, it was eight days before Thanksgiving, and... Michelle, who was the the Bible teacher for the children's midweek program at church, uh, was sitting with her preschoolers, and she thought a good way to talk about this Thanksgiving holiday coming up was to kind of share some things that weren't true to let the kids correct her. And so Michelle said, Now let's see, Thanksgiving. That's that's the day when we think about all the stuff we have and and how we want more things than anybody else, and how we don't care about anybody but ourselves. And and the kids said, No, 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 no. And then one little boy said, That's not Thanksgiving, Miss Michelle. That's Christmas. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that is the case for some, is it not, in our world today, that this time of year is all about the gifts, all about what we can get and maybe even give to other people. Um, But it seems to be that for some people it's just about the commercialism and uh, all of that. But that ought not to be the case, right, for us. Again, there's nothing wrong with being part of all the celebrations and the exchanging of gifts. It's all part of kind of our traditional way of celebrating. But we've got to be careful that we do not get caught up in all of this and forget why we are celebrating. And that's why we've decided this year to focus upon what we're calling the real Christmas, right? And to get back to the basics. And again, as, we, as, as Larry mentioned a few weeks ago, we looked at man's problem, which is sin. And as we went back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, we saw that, that when sin entered the, the, the reality of humanity, it brought with it consequences. And the major consequence of sin is death, separation from God. Physical death is the separation of our soul from our body. Spiritual death is the separation of our soul from God, our Creator. And that's what happened after Adam and Eve sinned. They were were kicked out of the garden, which was a picture of that spiritual uh, separation, spiritual death. And they would eventually one day die physically. Well, we see how sin was then passed down to Cain and Abel and to their children and their descendants. And it went to the point where God was sorry, the Scripture says, that he created man. And so he sent a flood to destroy the earth and everything in it except for one family and two of each animal, and they were spared on the ark. <clears throat> well, sin nature did not cease then, of course. It continued, and we, as we read through the Scripture, we see how this sin continued to demonstrate itself through humanity, and particularly through the nation of Israel. And we also see that the consequences of sin are far-reaching. It's not only physical death and separation from God, but it's all the stuff that comes as a result of that. And we see how the people of God, God's special set-apart people, the nation of Israel— continued in their sin, and continued to experience consequences of being, being out of fellowship and out of relationship with God. Well, then we, we went from the man's problem to looking at God's solution. Right? Last week we talked about God's solution. And of course, God's solution is that he promised to send a redeemer, the Messiah, one who would take care of our problem. And he began to allude to it there in the garden with the, 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 the image of the, uh, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent being in, in conflict with one another. And the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. And that was a picture of what was to come. And then we follow that down through again through the scriptures and we see God continually to make reference to through not only the words that were spoken but through the whole sacrificial system that was put into place. Which was a picture, a foreshadowing of the one true Lamb of God who would come into this world in the fullness of time and take away the sins of mankind. God's promised Messiah. Well, last week in looking at some of these, we looked particularly at Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 9 where he talked about this: the Messiah when he came would bring great light into this world. He would bring great joy and he would bring great freedom right, from our, uh, to, his, to God's people. And he would be, and he referred to these four names, wonderful counselor, mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. As we see the scripture, we realize that this one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas is the one who fulfilled all of this. The one true Messiah that came into our world. Well, today we want to look at man's participation. How did God use us, if you will, mankind, To bring about the fulfillment of his promise. His solution. And so we want to look at Mary. And the scripture that was read earlier in the service. As well as Joseph. And the part that they played. In this uh, coming of the Messiah. And we also then want to see from their example. How we are supposed to live. Right in light of this. What is our part? And how are we then to live as those who bring Jesus to our world? So if you would, if you haven't already, opened your Bible again to Luke chapter 1, if you'd turn there. won't be reading it again. But uh, we want to take a look at three particular aspects of Mary's part. And the first is that she heard the Word of God. See, the angel came to her, We're told in in the sixth month of her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy, which earlier in the chapter we see that whole thing being prophesied and that coming about. And then the angel Gabriel comes to Mary in Nazareth, which is her hometown, and he greets her. And he greets her with this greeting, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was a little confused about this greeting, a little concerned, what does this mean? And he said um, that uh, that God God has has found favor with you. Now, this does not mean there's nothing in the text to indicate that Mary was somehow different than anybody else, or Mary had somehow done something to earn this special favor from God. God simply placed his favor on her. This this grace of God, he extended to her, just as he does to every one of us, in a sense, that we do nothing to deserve God coming and having a relationship with us. But he greets her. You are favored of God because God has chosen you, and he will be with you. And what he's about to tell her, it's important for her to know, the Lord will be with you. And so he brought the message of God to her, the very Word of God. And she heard it. She had to hear this in order to do her part. And so he gives her instructions on what her part is. He says in verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb. You will bear a son, and you will call him Jesus. Mary, that's your part. And then he gives her a description of who this child she was going to name Jesus would be. And he refers to these statements that go back to to the prophetic things that were said. He said in verse 32 and 33, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. Well, any good Jew would know the, 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 the promise that God gave to King David. She was a descendant of David. And this promise was that there would be a descendant of David's who will occupy the throne forever. She. It's the hearing these words, and and she's realizing that what the angel is telling her is simply this. You will have a son, and this son will be the fulfillment of all these promises that we've been looking for. And she's wondering, how on earth is this going to happen? So she says, how on earth is this going to (laughs) happen? How can this be since I am a virgin? I've never been with a man. She knows one thing, you don't have kids on your own. And so she's not questioning the words of uh, the angel She's wondering, how am I supposed to do my part? And so not only does she hear the word of God, she sought to understand the word of God. What are you telling me? What does this mean for me? As opposed to the question that was asked by Zacharias earlier in the chapter, If you recall the story, he was a priest. He was serving uh, in the temple, and the angel Gabriel appeared to him and told him. Him and his wife were now advanced in years, had never had any children. They had prayed for years for children, but never had any. And the angel said, your petition has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And he goes on to tell him, you'll name him John, and, and he will be a forerunner to the Messiah and all of this. And Zacharias asked the question too. He said in verse 18, how shall I know this for certain? And the angel answered him and said, what would happen? And then told him that he would not be able to speak until this happened because he didn't believe. <laughs> this is different from the question Mary asked. Zachariah's question was, how can I know for sure that what you've told me is true? Mary's question is, basically, how am I supposed to do my part? (laughs) It's very different. One questions the Word of God, the other one asks a question to understand the Word of God. One is driven by maybe a doubt. The other is driven by I want to do my part. I just don't know how to do it. It's very different. But she sought to understand the word of God. And so he tells her, theologically, how this is going to happen. You see, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that very reason, this one inside of you that you will bring into this world this holy offspring will be called the the very Son of God. So basically, Mary, your part is to be willing to be used by God. God will do His part, and His part is to put inside of you the Son of God. And then he gives her a sign, which she didn't ask for, but a sign. And that sign is, listen, your relative Elizabeth, you know the one that's been barren her entire life, advanced in years. She's now in her sixth month. And then he gives her a word of encouragement. For nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. Again, as a good Jew, she would know the story of Father Abraham and his wife Sarah. She would know about this one son that was born to them in their old age. And would would know about that story. And if you recall the story, there were three men that came and appeared to Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. And they said to him, Where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, Well, she's in the tent. And then they said, and I will surely, verse 10, he said, I will um, surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Remember, he's 100 years old, and she's 90. Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. And Sarah was past childbearing, and Sarah laughed at herself to herself, After I have become old shall I have pleasure, my Lord being also old. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? And then God said this, Is anything too difficult for the Lord? And then he tells him, I'm going to come back this time next year (laughs) and she will have a son. No doubt... This is the story that is being alluded to by the angel to Mary when he says your relative Elizabeth is advanced in years and she's now in her sixth month. Why? Because nothing will be impossible with God. And just as it wasn't impossible for God to allow Abraham and Sarah at 90 and 100 years old, to have a son, and just as it's not impossible for God to have Zacharias and Elizabeth in their advanced years to have a child, it is not impossible for God to put a child in your womb as a virgin. So God has given her an answer to her seeking greater understanding. And as she receives that, we see simply this. She acknowledged her trust based on the Word of God, based on what God said to her. And so she says, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. She acknowledged her trust. She yielded herself to the Lord. She said, I am the bond slave of God. What is a bond slave? A bond slave is not just a servant. <clears throat> the word that's used here is not that word. It's a different word. It means one who willingly places themselves under the authority of a master. Who willingly chooses to become a slave to someone else. Our concept in our culture of slavery is you don't choose to be a slave. You are taken away from your family, and you are forced into this terrible place of slavery. Slavery back in the the Scriptures was very different from the slavery that is part of our dark history as a nation. But here we have a woman saying, I willingly choose to become a slave to my God. The best image I think we have in the Old Testament of this is in Exodus 21. I'm going to read. This is when when Moses was receiving instructions for the nation of Israel on how they were to function. And God says to him this, Here are the ordinances which you are to set before them. If If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve you for six years, but on the seventh he shall go out as a free man without payment. Now there were different reasons why a person would become a slave in the nation at that time, one of which was he owed a debt he couldn't pay. And so if he owed money to another Hebrew, couldn't pay, he could then become a slave to pay off his debt, but he could only be so for six years because God did not want them enslaving each other. And so the seventh year was set free, and their debt was considered paid. In those six years. That's what he's talking about. And then he goes on to say this. If he comes alone, he shall go out alone. If he is the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife, that is while he's under this slavery, and he bears sons or daughters, his wife and her her children shall belong to her master, he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man. And his master shall bring him to God, and then shall bring him to the door of the door uh, door or the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. So you cannot, in other words, in he, in, in Israel, you could not enslave another Hebrew for more than six years, unless they willingly chose to remain in that condition because they love their master. This is the idea behind this, this bond slave. So Mary is saying, because I love my God, and I trust my God, and He's been good to me, I willingly place myself under His authority as a bond slave. And then she says, be it done to me according to your word. She trusted God to work in her, and through her, to accomplish God's Word. What a tremendous act of trust. I yield my life to you, God. Whatever you believe is best for me, do it. I am a willing vessel. That was Mary's part. Turn to Matthew chapter 1, please, as we look at Joseph's part. Let me go ahead and read this for us. Matthew chapter 1, 18 to 25. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, Uh, to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear you a son." He will call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. All this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel," which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took her as his wife, and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Well, the progression of things most likely is this. You have Mary being, um, the angel came to Mary and explained to her what was going to happen. She yielded to that. And then, according to Luke's Gospel, she then went, at that point, down to her uh, relative Elizabeth in Jerusalem, from Nazareth down to Jerusalem. And she spent the last three months of Elizabeth's pregnancy with her until she gave birth to John, who would become John the Baptist. And then Luke says, and then after that, after she had the son, then she went back to Nazareth. So Mary is now three months pregnant when she returns. Her betrothed Joseph is busy preparing a place in his father's home so that when that place was completed and the days of betrothal were over, he could go and get his betrothed, who is now committed to, and the law considers them husband and wife, though they're not together yet, and have not consummated their marriage. It was a proving time of faithfulness. He would go then and get her and bring her back and consummate the marriage. Well, she comes back pregnant. And Joseph discovers this. This is how the text reads, right? Before they came together, she was found to be with child. What is Joseph to do? He knows the baby isn't his. He knows how pregnancy works. And the scripture says he was a righteous man, which means that Joseph was very concerned about doing what is right before God. To do what is right according to the law. And so we see that, first of all, Joseph's part was he was determined to do right according to the word of God. And as a result of his righteousness, he knew he could not marry marry Mary. He had three options according to the law. One, he had the right to have her stoned to death because obviously she'd been unfaithful. Though that was not typically practiced in that day, it was still uh, a, a right that a man had according to the law. A second option was to give her a public divorce. Um, again, that was what the only way that that could break up the engagement, the betrothal. He could bring her... Th- into the public and he could disgrace her in front of everybody that she had been unfaithful to him and he could just make a, a, a real public display of this. That was his right according to the law. But thirdly, he could also give her a certificate of divorce privately. He could put her away secretly. And this is what Joseph chose to do so we see that Joseph not only was a righteous man, but he was a very gracious man. He chose to do the one thing that would bring the least amount of shame to this woman he believed was unfaithful to him. Is it any wonder why God chose Joseph to be the one who would serve As the stepfather to his son, to be the protector and provider of the Son of God on earth. Because Joseph was a man of character, he reflected the very character of his heavenly father, who is both righteous and gracious at the same time. God will always do what is right, but he is also gracious compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He will always offer his grace to us. So we have Joseph, a determined man to do what is right according to the word. And based upon the amount of information and revelation he had at his access, he was about to do what he believed was right, but also gracious. But then we see he received further instruction. God revealed more of a story to him. And so Joseph, as he's contemplating this reality, which that word considered, from what I understand, has with it a deep disturbance. This is not what Joseph wanted. But being a righteous man, he had to do what was right. You ever been conflicted like that? You know what is right, but it's not what you want to do. And so, when he was considering this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he says to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. You will not be disobeying the word of God. Because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, she has not been unfaithful to you. She is a chosen vessel of God. God's special favor is upon her. He has chosen her to bring a child into this world. Not just a child, but the child. She will bear a son and you'll call him his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means God saves. It's the equivalent to the Hebrew name Joshua, which is Yeshua or Yahashua in Hebrew, which means God saves or God is our salvation. And so the angel is communicating the word of God to Joseph. And he's saying you need to know more in order to make the right decision. And this more information is this child is the Messiah. And so do, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And then we have revealed for us here, we don't know if the angel then told Joseph about the prophecy from Isaiah 7.14 or if Matthew is revealing that to us in the story to help us understand as readers. But more revelation is given about This one who was in the womb of his betrothed is to be the fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah 14. He will be Emmanuel, God with us. And so as a result of further revelation, further instruction, further information, Joseph responded. And he demonstrated his obedience based on the Word of God. So what does he do? He does exactly what the angel told him to do. He got up from his sleep, and he went, and he took her as his, uh, as his wife, and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Exactly what the angel told him to do. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. She'll have a son. Name him Jesus. He did exactly what God told him. His obedience was quick. Like Joseph arose from his sleep. He didn't even wait till morning. He went. And he got her. As soon as he could, he obeyed. Without hesitation. And he obeyed completely without, without reservation. Did everything the angel told him to do. Joseph was less concerned about his reputation and more concerned about Mary's. What would Mary's reputation be in this community if everybody finds out she's pregnant during betrothal? And it's not Joseph. So Joseph decided to put his reputation at stake and he took her into his home so that everybody would believe that if anybody's at fault here, it was Joseph, not Mary. He was more concerned about what God said than what people would think of him. So he demonstrated his obedience according to the word of God. So what does that say to us? What is our part? How do we learn from them? Four truths. First of all, we should listen to the Word of God. Just as Mary heard the Word, just as Joseph had to hear the Word of God that was brought to them, we need to listen to the Word of God. That is, we need to be in the Word We need to be reading this book for ourselves. We need to spend time in this book. You know, one of the things that many people do uh, this time of year is, right, with New new Year coming, we, we make commitments. We make resolutions. I would encourage you to be careful making too many and making them so lofty you can't ever meet them because then you get discouraged and you quit. And I'll tell you, one of the best resolutions you can make is to say, I'm going to commit myself to be in the Word of God consistently. You might miss a day here and there. Maybe reading through the whole Bible in a year is too much for you. Make a commitment that you can keep. I'm going to be in the Word. I'm going to be in the Word this much each day. And, and I'm going to give myself a little bit of grace if... if If I miss a day, I'm not going to become discouraged and say, man, I've gotten off track, and so why do I keep? Get back to it. Give yourself a little grace. But make a commitment to get into the Word of God. And you know what your your pattern has been. Maybe you haven't been in the Word consistently ever, or maybe hasn't been recently. So make a commitment that you can make. You have been. Yes, oh, I want to keep keep going and I want to make sure I keep that consistency. We got to be in the word. But not only in the word, but we got to be under the word. It's important that we bring ourselves not to the word of God as the, as the authority, but as the learner. I want to learn, I want to bring myself under that and under the hearing of the word of God. In, Gen- in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3 says this, blessed is he who reads and hears the words of the prophecy and heeds all that is written in it. And particularly that may be speaking about the book of Revelation, right? But it's also true of the whole Bible. We are blessed when we read and when we hear all that is in it and heed everything that is there. So we should listen, listen to the Word of God. We cannot hear it if we're not reading it or being under that Word. And one of the ways we're under the Word is by being under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Secondly, we should seek to understand the Word of God. Just as Mary asked good questions, what does this mean for me? We'd ask the text questions. So we understand what's going on there. Lots of good questions when we're reading and studying the Word. We want to know who wrote it. We want to whom it was written. We want to know what is the context of, of what's going on here. In this passage, what's the context of the whole book? What's the how does this truth or what's being said here fit into all that I know of the scripture? Is there any other scriptures that relate to this? Just as the angel Gabriel did for Mary when he made the allusion back to uh, Abraham and and Sarah, said this isn't the first time God did something like this. This is what God does. He delights to do what man considers impossible, to bring about his purposes. One of the ways that we can get a better understanding of the Scripture is to also ask, what must have this person been thinking or or feeling or what might it have been like? You know, try and put yourself in Mary's place. What would it have been like? Ladies, can you imagine as a young girl Right? And you're looking, you have your whole life ahead of you. And you're, you're excited about what the future holds. And, and maybe you're even enga- engaged or, or involved with a, a young man and you see a future with this person and you're just excited about all that. And then God changes your plans in an incredible way like this. Imagine what you must be feeling, what you're thinking. Are you willing to lay aside all of your hopes and dreams, everything that you had planned for your life, to say, "Yes, Lord, I will do what you want me to do. I will be what you want me to be." I yield my life to you. God, he's trying to imagine Joseph and what he was going through, what he was thinking at, what he was wrestling with. It helps us, right? Again, that's not not revelation. We're We're not adding to the Scripture. We're just trying to understand it better. So we want to seek to understand the Word of God. And we go to those who have studied it and who have written about it and we can learn from them. And so there's just so many ways that we can gain a better understanding of the Word of God. Ask God, what does this mean? How do I understand this? What does it mean for me? Thirdly, we should trust God according to the Word of God. Just again, as Mary yielded herself to God and trusted Him. We need to trust our circumstances to God. For nothing is impossible with God. Do we believe that? Mary did. She trusted God in light of that truth. We need to know the Word, which reveals who God is, reveals who we are in Him, He reveals how we are to live our lives, and so we need to trust Him according to His Word. When we don't know His Word, we then could potentially trust Him for something He never said. And so when God doesn't do what we think he should do, but he never said he would do, we get disappointed with God. So we want to know what the word of God says. We want to know what God has said about things and trust him based upon his word. And then lastly, as Joseph, we need to obey God according to the word of God. We obey what we know from God's word. None of us know everything in here. None of us know everything that God has called us to do. But we know something. And we should obey what we know. How often have we asked God for more revelation about something when we haven't obeyed what he's already revealed? And so we need to obey what we know from God's word. And if we want to be like Joseph, without hesitation, without reservation, obey when God reveals to us through his word. And if we need more instruction, like Joseph did, God is able to give that. God is able to reveal to us more understanding of his word, more understanding of a circumstance. We might have a limited knowledge of something and we might take what we know of the Scripture and say, here's what it looks like for me to respond to this situation based on what I know of the the Word. And maybe what we're thinking isn't right, but it's it's the best we know from the Word of God. God is able to reveal more to us about the situation or more Scripture to us that will help us make a better choice. God is able to do that if we're seeking to understand the Word better. If we're just simply saying, this is what I want to do, and I really don't care if there's more instruction or more information, this is what I want to do. and I don't know that God's going to necessarily be, feel um, inclined to reveal more to you because you've got a bigger problem, and that's in your heart. So what is man's participation? Mary said, Here I am. Be it done to me. I am your bond servant. Joseph said, I will do what you tell me to do, and I will obey. Whatever it costs me, I will obey. Now we have a part to play in our context. Well, it begins with listening to what the Word says about our need, right, our problem. We have a problem and that problem is we are sinners deserving death destined for death. God promised to send a liver. and as we've looked through the scripture as we've understood it better we realize that Jesus the one whose birth we celebrate is the fulfillment of that promise. And so now it's on us to say I trust him. <clears throat> I trust that his coming here was for what he said it would do, and his death on the cross, his resurrection is for me, and it took care of my sin problem. And I trust him for my problem, my sin problem. I trust him to deliver me from that. And now, because of what he did for me, I want to live in such a way that I obey what his word says because I want to please the one gave his life for me. This is what our part involves. And if you've never come to that place in your life, where well, you realize that your sin separated you from God, the one true and living God, and that God sent his son to save you from that, today, what a wonderful way to celebrate Christmas this year. And to say, yes, Jesus, I've been been celebrating your birth all these years, but for the first time I realize you came for me, to save me. I, like Mary, yield myself to you, and I trust you. I trust you to be my Savior. Help me now to live in a way that honors you and obeys your word. Do that right here, right now, right where you are. It's It's a transaction that happens in our heart before God. Let's pray together. Gracious God, I pray that if there's somebody in the hearing of my voice today in this room or online who is in that moment saying, yeah, I've heard all this before, but... But for the first time, I realized this is about me and God. It's about what Jesus came to do for me. And I yield myself. I trust you, oh, Lord. Thank you for coming and saving me. Lord, I pray for that person right now. pray that they would understand and they would entrust themselves to you. Lord, I pray that they would want to tell people about this and be excited about this reality and want to share that with other people. Find somebody. Lord, I pray they'll find somebody that they know and trust who can explain to them further what the Word of God says, who can help them get on on track to, to be in the Word and understanding it better. Help them begin this journey of being in a relationship with you, almighty God. Thank you, Father, for this the the revelation of of Mary, Joseph, and their part in this, and for what it teaches us. God, give us courage, courage to say, yes, Lord, be it done to me. Do what you want to do in me, and use me. I will obey, even though it's scary. I will obey. Father, we give you thanks. We give you the glory, and we invite you to work in and in our midst and through us. We pray it in Jesus' name.